Hello and welcome to the Perusia podcast. I'm Shabul Raish, uh, your host, director of Perusia, and I'd like to welcome all the viewers from around the world, uh, especially those watching on EWTN as well. As you know, we've been collaborating with EWTN Asia Pacific with the My Encounter series, and I'm with a very special guest, and I'd like to call a good friend over the last 19 years now, um, Cardinal George Pell, and we are here now in his house. And what a privilege it is. Uh, hello, Cardinal Pell. You're Chabelle, yes. Very happy and honoured to be called a good friend. Yes, absolutely. I, I do remember when you first came to Sydney, we were talking earlier, um, it was 2001, and I was I formed with a couple of other fellow Maronites who were like security guards because there was a few protesters at the time. Yeah, well, <laughs> but we, we, it was a great celebration to, to have yeah, you when was, you first arrived. It was. It was a bit, uh, bit noisy, a little <laughs> bit. There weren't many protesters. No, but that's right. 30, but they were... Determined and uh, well organised, and uh, uh, got good coverage. No, that's right. That's right. Well, you um, and I guess over the years and throughout your life, it, you you have been known across the media, and you, you create a splash, and you you know you're making the headlines. And those who don't know you personally, I guess they don't get to see the the human side of you. They see the headlines. They see um, one or two statements that are taken out of context, and and so. Unfortunately, the majority of the population just get that. And, uh, and I'd like today in this opportunity to share a little about yourself, your upbringing, your faith journey, and, and maybe um, give people a bit of an insight of, of that and get back to the basics again. Very good. Yeah, good. And uh, I mean, if you're regularly in the public uh, view defending Christian values and that, that's, uh, uh, you know, it's not surprising that it's not always a bundle of laughs. No, that's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, yeah, the, the Christian message isn't um, always well received from from our you know our secular culture these days. But uh, no, 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 there's a, a very determined opposition to a, yes. to, a, to a lot of the Christian values. Yeah, I, I really want to get into a bit of that a bit later on. Um, mm -hmm. But can we start from the very beginning? Um, are you so you are cradle Catholic? Um, I'm a Bible? cradle Catholic. Yes, uh, my mother was an Irish Australian. Burke was her uh, name. Um, my father wasn't a Catholic. He was uh, baptised an Anglican. So I grew up in what was called then, probably still is, a mixed marriage. Yes. But it, it wasn't quite as common then, at least in our world in Ballarat and Victoria, uh, as it is now. Did you find yourself going to both churches, the Anglican no, church? No, no, no. Dad was uh, a non-practising Anglican. Okay, okay. Uh, so you you brought up as a yeah a normal Catholic going to oh, get the brought, sacraments. brought up as a strong Catholic. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, my mother was uh, um, strongly Catholic. Uh, she came from a religious family. She had a first cousin, a Dominican priest. Oh wow! Uh, I had a first cousin who was a priest, and his sister was a Josephite nun. So the, the Burke side of the family were uh, pretty well all practicing the faith in those days. Okay. Oh, very good. And uh, did you, you did play professional football? Um, no, I didn't. Or? I signed to play, signed to play. Uh, professional yeah. football okay. my last year at school. I uh, uh, received a scholarship to the university from them. I was promised a place on their training list, yeah. but uh, I fled to a monastery instead. <laughs> you had the calling. Um, can, can we touch on that? Did you always have a calling growing up or when, when did you know you had that call to the priesthood? Um, I was quite sick when I was young. Okay. Um, I had throat trouble, a lot of operations. 
So as a young uh, uh, young boy, I uh, thought I'd become a priest. I gave the idea away at secondary school, and I came. Uh, I did two years, year twelve, I, um, which wasn't uncommon then. Twenty uh-huh. or thirty percent of kids would do it. Um, I did quite well my first year. I got a place in Melbourne Law, but um, I was quite a successful schoolboy. But uh, I was dissatisfied, and I thought, "Oh no, I'll I'll go back and uh, um, do physics and chemistry, so I can go and do medicine, so I can be." I had been thinking of doing law, as I mentioned, so that I could help people a bit more. Um, I hated chemistry. <laughs> uh, I probably wasn't disciplined enough for the hard memory work. Um, and during my uh, last year uh, at school, I had three deaths of significant people in a few months mm. in the middle of the year. Two uncles died, and um, I was quite uh, keen on English, English literature. That was a subject uh, then. It was a very good course, um, especially when compared with the courses that are offered today. Yes, um, very different. <laughs> and the mayor, the brother who... Nearly all my teachers were religious, brothers and nuns, Loretto nuns and Christian brothers. And I'm very grateful to them. And anyhow, my English uh, teacher died. And so I had these three deaths and it, it forced a, a reappraisal of what I was going to do. Mm. So uh, to cut a long story short, I became a, decided to enter the seminary, not because I wanted to become a priest, but because I felt compelled to do so. I felt that was what oh. God wanted me to do. But I wasn't full of generosity or enthusiasm. Oh, wow. So was that the, the following year uh, yeah, uh, yeah, since those yeah. deaths? No, uh, no, the same year as the deaths. Same year. Okay. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. This was immediately outside of school or you went... Uh... I went after school yeah. uh, into the seminary in 1960. Okay. okay. And 90, 95% of people going into the seminary did that in those days. Interesting, interesting. And uh, vocations back then would have been stronger than they oh, have been. Oh, immensely, yeah. We had, uh, um, there was an eight-year course, uh, three years philosophy, a preliminary year of rhetoric, four years theology in the um, Corpus Christi. Oh, yes. In the... Uh, it split in 1960 to Glen Waverley and Werribee, so I had four years at Werribee. Uh, there would have been about 200 students in the two places. It was 120 where we were, plus wow. or minus. Um, so now they've got about 50, which is okay. better than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Yes. But, but the, the numbers um, and the religious orders were getting big numbers. Yeah, we don't, different we don't days, see different yeah, days. Yeah, that's right. That's right. How, so when you um, were ordained to the priesthood, what do you remember the year of your first Yes, your I was ordained on the 16th of December 1966 Okay. in St Peter's in Rome. So, oh, how special that would have been. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, and then what was your first appointment? Did you come back to a parish or were you in Rome no, for a while? No, I, uh, I did six more months in Rome um, and then I went to Oxford and did a doctorate in church history. But uh, that was punctuated by three months in uh, North Baltimore, Cathedral of Mary, our Queen. Oh, wow, yes. Uh, and it was there that I met a young fellow called George Weigel. 
<laughs> so I've been a close family friend of the Weigels uh, since 1967. Yeah, he's a great writer, isn't he? Yeah, he's a great, a great writer. Great commentator. Yes, yes. And so then, so you, yeah, you did. You have a, quite a few friends in America, and we have a few viewers uh, from the states, and uh, many of our partners. Um, and you, you are definitely well known across the United States um, and around the world, of course. But uh, lots of good friends there. But what was um, what, a bit about you, how long were you a priest before you became uh, auxiliary bishop? Uh, I was ordained the end of '66, and I became a uh, an auxiliary bishop in 1987. Okay, so yeah, it's about 21 years. 21 years, that's oh. right. Uh, and was that in uh, the city, uh, Melbourne, or just yes, outside? Yes, at that uh, at that the stage, uh, at that stage, I was rector of the seminary, Corpus Christi okay. College. I was rector from '85 to '87. Um, Bob Santa Maria thought that some people were keen to have me appointed auxiliary bishop because I was starting to have too much influence in the seminary on the <laughs> students. Uh, but whatever about that, um, I was appointed uh, auxiliary bishop in Melbourne and served as auxiliary for nine years. Okay. That was a good apprenticeship. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, then you became archbishop, right? In, I did. In, in Melbourne. I, I did. And, uh, I, I, was, I had two uh, extra diocesan roles when I was auxiliary bishop in Melbourne. I uh, um, was chairman of Caritas, oh, yes. our overseas aid and development agency, which I'm very proud of. Uh, does great work still. Uh, did a lot of travelling through Asia um, and other parts. Uh, and also I became chairman of uh, the committee that set up the Australian Catholic University. So oh, both wow. of those were really worthwhile jobs to get your teeth into and took up a bit of time. So uh, that's, um, that's our largest uh, university now in Australia. Um, it's one of the largest Catholic uh, universities Catholic in the ones, world. Yes, in the world. Yeah, oh, wow. One of the largest. I don't know. Somebody said the University of St Thomas in Manila is larger. I don't know whether... But it's got about 35,000 students, yes. plus or minus. Okay. It'll be coming up to a 30-year anniversary soon. Um, they'll be getting close. That, that, would, that would be right. That's, yeah, cor that's okay. correct. Um, so just, yeah, that's, I was about to ask uh, some of the highlights of your time in Melbourne as Bishop and Archbishop. Um, I guess uh, what, the church, what, what would you have summed up the time while you were there? The, the state of the church then, and then maybe, uh, you know, by the time you moved to Sydney, what, looking back, what, did it change much? Did you see um, a growth in particular areas or, or was there any? Well, actually we did. Uh, given the, my time in the seminary, my time in Melbourne, by the time I became Archbishop, I had quite clear ideas about some of the things I wanted to do. And... Um, uh, the first thing was to put together a new religious education, not just a syllabus, but texts yes. for students, teachers and parents. And that eventually became No Worship and Love, a yes. series which is still going, still being used, being um, adapted uh, for the world of today as distinct from 25 years ago. Um, under the leadership of Anthony Cleary, he's an outstanding religious educator. Yes, yes. Um, helped by Haddad, uh, 
who also does a very good job. So that was one area. The second area was uh, the reform of the seminary. Okay. Because um, I've been seminary rector. I had a difficult time. Um, uh, you know, people were students, the seminaries were reluctant to go to daily mass. Mm. Um, the um, routine of prayer, the rosary was prohibited as a public devotion. Wow. Uh, I think in my two and a half years there, I managed to get one celebration of benediction. Uh, so it was a, a different yeah. uh, world and um, pretty stormy. The, uh, the seminary staff didn't like the small changes I was bringing in, you know, daily mass, daily meditation, prayer of the church, rosary. Um, and uh, so they resigned and uh, perhaps to their mild surprise, I accepted their resignation. So... Uh, and started fresh and, and brought it back to yes. what, uh, what we understand to be uh, authentic. Uh, and the vocations improved significantly and have, uh, uh, we don't have as many as we would like uh, everywhere, but in, that's true in Melbourne too. But vocations have remained pretty good there since. Um, what do you... The other, the one other thing I'd like to mention that I did that I'm very proud of yes. uh, was to set up the Melbourne Response. Yes, I'm on glad the we pedophilia, can say it was a, a first. It, it, it dealt with, I think, some hundreds of complaints in my five years there. Wow. Um, quite a few, uh, quite a number of priests were stood down. Uh, we had close cooperation with the police. Um, they publicly supported the creation of this. Uh, um, this uh, procedure, contrary to some false allegations by Mr. Ashton, uh, yeah. we recommended something like something of the order of well over a hundred people to the police. Eighty or ninety went. Uh, you know, there, there was no impeding people uh, going to the police. Naturally, we stepped back if the police were uh, investigating. And uh, I mean, the other great. Uh, Injustice was the claim that there were 40 suicides. Uh, Carson's report, 40 suicides connected with uh, clerical uh, crimes, you know, around Ballarat yes. in particular. Yes. That was re-examined by the police themselves and they could uh, identify one person who uh, suicided. Now, one person is one person too much. Yes. It's... Uh, Terrible, but there was nothing like uh, the exaggeration. Uh, the, 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 the forty, and uh, that, that was a police exam, a police, um, a police examination itself. Invest second police investigation. Um, yeah. So, and they sat on the news of this second uh, investigation for years before they revealed to the public that the first. Uh, um, it was quite the figures were quite false. So anyhow, that that's so. I'm not don't want to make exaggerated claims for the Melbourne response, but Peter O'Callaghan uh, basically did a fine job, and it helped a lot of people. And interestingly, when I left Melbourne in two thousand and one, 
quite a number of the people around town uh, said to me, well, that's one thing you got right. <laughs> uh, now, since then, it's been fiercely uh, criticised. Mm. Um, it might, I'm not claiming it was perfect. It could have been reviewed as the way they reviewed George Healing once or twice in the 30 years. But uh, it, it was an honest and independent uh, attempt to get to the truth and it helped a lot of people. And this is the point that it, there was nothing else like it at the time, was there? There was no uh, formal we, response uh, no, on this level. No, and probably not around the world. And the towards healing, yes. which I implemented faithfully in Sydney as Archbishop, came some months later. Now, the towards healing certainly did uh, a lot of good work. Um, we had an outstanding uh, head of the towards healing in for Sydney and perhaps for New South Wales, certainly for Sydney, a man called Michael Salmon. Now, it's a terrible injustice to suggest that Michael worked ineffectively for 15 or 20 years until the time of the Royal Commission. He certainly didn't. Uh, he worked with great professionalism and competence and, and uh, justice and did a very, very good job. Do you think um, now, and I was going to talk about that a bit later, but I might as well ask it now. Has now, thanks to the Royal Commission in Australia and, and, and sort of resurfacing all these old um, cases, which obviously brings all that hurt and pain back again and it mm -hmm. becomes real, very emotional, um, has the church done enough? Is there more the church can do in this response to, to abuse? Uh, well, the church uh, has to got to continue to contribute. Yes. Um, uh, I think, uh, I'm sure there are more things that can be done. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that they, uh, uh, they, uh, they will be done. The Royal Commission did uh, many, many good things. It enabled many uh, gross crimes and the fact that they were badly handled to be, uh, uh, you know, to be, to be dealt with and helped. I mean, many people were helped. Um, but it is not at all accurate to suggest that nothing was done. Mm -hmm. um, Gail Furness, who was the counsel assisting the Royal Commission, acknowledged that from the 90s, the number of offences in Catholic institutions uh, collapsed radically. So in some, perhaps many dioceses, when you ask them, how many crimes of pedophilia have been committed in Catholic institutions this century? Um, in many cases, the diocese is able to say uh, uh, none or very, very few. Well, well there you go. So it, th this has definitely um, had a, a positive impact now that it's working. It's heading in the right direction and we're not hearing these cases that we heard of. 40, 50 oh, we've years been ago. heading in the right direction in terms of preventing the crimes for 25 years. Excellent. Uh, now, Excellent. Uh, in terms of provision of counselling, uh, I think we've st we've consistently done that for a long time. In terms of the measure of compensation, uh, well, that's a different question, mm -hmm. uh, and the standards uh, change, and the church has uh, become more generous and. Uh, I certainly welcome that. Now, I'm, I'm interested to, to hear if there's any connection 
I mean, this shouldn't happen. We, we, we look at it from a, a globe, global scenario where these one case is one too many. However, in your opinion, this is happening. We're seeing a loss of faith over the, over the last generation. And as you were saying, in the 60s, mm-hmm. the, the vocations were so high. You had religious orders teaching. And very interesting, as that, those numbers were dropping, um, and very fewer, few, much fewer vocations, um, and the loss of faith, generally speaking, um, is there a connection between people's understanding their consciousness or their faith and these this type of um, these crimes? You know, do you think there's a, con- a moral um, connection? Oh, undoubtedly there is, and the standing of the church has been damaged, yeah. and of course a lot of an immense amount of damage has been done to the to the victims. Yes, um, and we have to continue to try to remedy that. But it would be a great mistake to imagine that the fundamental challenge to faith comes from the pedophilia crisis. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the challenge to faith is uh, uh, much broader and um, deeper than that. Um, I think uh, there's a marvellous book uh, by Margaret uh, Eberstadt called Adam and Eve After the Pill. <laughs> uh, and uh, she says the creation of the contraceptive pill has had as big an effect on the world as the communist revolution in Russia in 1917. And uh, mm. I think this mm. is true, and it's not just in by decreasing the number of children, but of the way it has... Uh, reformulated the uh, the rules that are followed each day by people um, outside marriage and before marriage with their with their sexual lives. So uh, you know, it's uh, do people have uh, fewer children because their faith has already weakened, or does it uh, go the other way? Mm. Is their faith weakened uh, when they decide perhaps to have no children or very very few children? Yes, very um, uh, Materialism, the, the economic pressures of pushing people the so, uh, away from faith, the sociological currents that helped ordinary people like myself uh, to, to continue in the Christian tradition. A lot of those currents now are very hostile and uh, moving, uh, moving people away. Yeah, many, many more challenges now and yes, um, distractions and noise. And we are, there is a message out there in the world. Uh, it is about ourself and we turn on ourself before anyone else. So this, it's almost like a, uh, a selfishness in a sense, isn't it? The idea of love is not there anymore. Uh, I mean, as it, as it should be anyway. And so the knock-on effect, as you describe, is so true. Um, well, see, when I was a teenager, there was certainly too much alcohol in Ballarat. <laughs> But there was no internet pornography mm-hmm. and there was no um, uh, soft drugs, much less hard drugs problem as far as I know. It was uh, in Ballarat in the, in the 50s. So with uh, drugs and porn, uh, these are enormous different, bring, bring enormous changes. Uh, and as well as that, we've had a, a significant, significant increase in... Uh, Marriage breakdown. Yes. Now that impacts on the kids. Yes, yes. Uh, and so uh, our school teachers, who um, so many ways do such a fine job, 
uh, often also have to act as uh, social workers, um, trying to heal mm. uh, and help uh, the kids who are with them at school. There, there is so much in this uh, that uh, we'll have to leave for another day, but what you're saying there is, is so dense that, that we need to recover so many things there um, and, and the ability to um, rediscover our faith and, connect, and connection there as well as love and, and yeah, um, turning towards other, the, the increase now of addictions. And, and now we're seeing mental health grow more than ever. Uh, this loss of purpose, I think, out there. Um, well, uh, I mean, you, um, your mental health has got to, if uh, there's more pornography, there's mm -hmm. more drugs, no less uh, alcohol, more marriage, uh, uh, breakup, um, a weakening of the general communities, uh, uh, absence of fathers, men in the house, all yes. these things obviously uh, are not uh, having a good effect on, uh, uh, on our youngsters. I mean, many of, the, many of the youngsters growing up today, or yeah, many I think I could say, a lot of them, they have, very, they're in a very hard situation. Yes. They're really uh, doing it hard. Yeah, it's important. We, we get the right messaging out there and yeah. uh, good role models as well. Yes, and we give them a good basic in, uh, education, certainly yes. in religious education, but also in maths and English. Mm. Uh, yes. It's all very well to have a high rhetoric for the poor. The best thing you can give to a kid from a battling family or a migrant kid is give him a, he and she a good mastery of English and a mastery of maths. And both of these things open up uh, open up the way to the future. Yes, absolutely. Can we um, continue on to Sydney now as Archbishop of Sydney? Um, uh, you know, you, you, I, I remember I was very new to the church. I just had my reconversion, if you like, or coming back to faith a year earlier. And uh, blessed to then, yeah, welcome you into the city, in the city. And, and I noticed certainly over the years there's, there's been some great projects that were implemented. Um, what would be some of the highlights would you put out, I mean, uh, in your time in, in Sydney as Archbishop? Well, one of the things uh, that I was able to do in Sydney uh, was the um, reforming of the tertiary chaplaincy scene at the universities. Yes. Uh, a group of young people, Anthony McCarthy was one of them, came to me and said, why aren't we doing what the Evangelical Anglicans are doing uh, at Sydney University with teams of young lay people. And um, I thought, well, that's a good question. <laughs> and uh, uh, we have uh, followed that model, obviously priests, uh, and we've got some Dominican nuns and the Fraternus uh, from uh, Peru involved in it doing great work. Uh, but the, the teams, there are more lay people than, certainly than, than priests. And it, uh, we have a very lively tertiary Catholic scene in the, in the major universities in Sydney now. And uh, it's a crucial time. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it was other people who suggested we follow this route to me, but I'm... Uh, I'm very, very glad that I did, and, and God has blessed us. Good marriages, but um, 
probably we've had uh, in the 20 years something like 40 vocations. I'm not yeah. saying they grew up within it or were sparked by it, but who moved through yes. the, the Sydney tertiary chaplaincies. This is an important point for many people who probably don't even know this exists, but in secular universities you've established these chaplaincies that would promote and evangelise on campus but give a sense of um, belonging for many students and, and, uh, and so many different spiritual activities that would happen on campus. And right. Yeah, now friendships have been born over the years and... Um, yeah, it's quite remarkable and what a model it could be across the country and across the world. Hopefully uh, diocese around the world can take note of this because well, uh, it's I, quite effective. Uh, one of the things I was blessed with both in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, they weren't poor dioceses mm. and so I had money to do things. It makes so a big difference, yeah. So it does make a difference but... Uh, uh, the diocese has got to be prepared to put money into intangibles, into spiritual realities like a chaplaincy. See, so if mm -hmm. you build a church or a school, uh, you can very much see what you're getting for your money. If you're uh, putting uh, money into a theological institute or the Institute for Family Studies uh, or chaplaincy services, uh, you sometimes can't be quite sure what you're getting for your money. But we're... Uh, uh, I, th I think the, um, the tertiary area should be a real priority um, yes. for, for the church. Yeah, that's a great... Why do you say that? Is it the age of the students? Is that a, a crucial time for someone? Well, I think their, it is. I, I remember saying to one experienced Catholic a priest chaplain, I said, oh, you know, one of the troubles with uh, the university chaplaincy, you've only got them for three or four years and then they're gone. And this chaplain said, no, 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 no. Once you catch them at uh, university, you've generally got them for life. Wow, they okay. no longer stay um, at the university, or most of them don't. They, they go off uh, into careers and uh, married life. But um, um, most of them hang on to the choices they made uh, as young adults. Yes, yeah, that's very valuable. Um, you, you did become Cardinal um, as a, Archbishop of Sydney. This is before going to Rome, so you did mm -hmm. remain, you were a Cardinal for quite a few years. Yes. Did, was there, for those who may not know the difference, uh, as a Cardinal, yes, you can vote for the Pope, but what other things does a Cardinal do or what's, what, what is different for an Archbishop um, when you become a Cardinal? Are there other roles that you take on? Um, often, yeah, you're appointed to some of the governing gr groups in... Uh, uh, in Rome, um, you're actually in, and technically an advisor to the Pope. Every cardinal has a connection with the Roman Church because you're a, a you're as a cardinal you're a cardinal of the Church of Rome of the appointed by um, by the Pope. So was it um, Pope John Paul II at the time? Or Pope yeah, no, Pope, he appointed Pope yes. John Paul II appointed me uh, cardinal. I'm a uh, I'm uh, a very uh, explicit and grateful John Paul the Great man. <laughs> Saint John Paul the Great, which That's is amazing. Correct. And then Pope Benedict uh, uh, was Pope, and then Pope Francis and you were then called to Rome. Yes, um, yeah, I, I was the prefect of the Secretariat for the Economy, the uh, 
the Vatican finances have been bedeviled by scandals and uh, and uh, a measure of incompetence for uh, at least 40 years now. Wow. Um, and so... Uh, Many people would probably have no idea <laughs> about it or... or no, and no, so, and in uh, some ways that's a bit better. Than yeah. there's a, a discreet veil of silence um, pulled over <laughs> some of it. But, uh, yeah, you, um, we know you did some cleaning up in there and, and, and uh, it looks like it's in much better shape as far as finances are concerned. I, I think, uh, yes, I think they're heading in the right direction. Yes. I think it is in better shape. Uh, they're running a deficit every year mm. and that's been radically exacerbated by the COVID crisis. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, the Vatican is under very real financial pressure. Uh, and just uh, what they will do to turn that around, uh, well, uh, remains to be seen. It might be a great opportunity to answer the, the, the common question you hear out there, oh, the church is uh, this huge institution with so much money um, and, uh, you know, it, it should be doing more for the poor and things like that. Uh, what do you say to that? I mean, it's a common thing that's said and many people have a misinterpretation of how the church I mean, why it spends so much money on certain buildings or architecture or what, how do we respond to people who, who feel that it well, needs to sell everything and just become well, a portrait? I mean, there's a number of things that can be said. Yes. Um, and the first of these is that we're Christians and we believe that God is of first importance. So that uh, the creation of beautiful churches, houses of worships to glorify God is I'm tempted to say one of the first uh, priorities of uh, uh, of the Catholic Church. Now we already uh, we also and already do an enormous amount for the poor um, uh, through our Catholic care. That's one of the best kept secrets. Uh, the work our social service agencies yes. uh, do, and it's uh, wonderful work. Um, our schools, education, um, you know, Matt Talbot, homes for uh, people on the, on the streets. Uh, I remember somebody wrote a hostile letter to me at the cathedral uh, alleging that I was sleeping in silk sheets and uh, he said to me, uh, you know, you're doing nothing for the poor. What are you doing for the poor around the <laughs> cathedral? Um, and so I was a little bit blunt, that's not my style, but I, uh, I wrote back and uh, I didn't tell him that I wasn't sleeping in silk sheets, because I, which I certainly wasn't. But um, I said, well, uh, there are about 800 beds in this area around the, the cathedral for homeless people. And I think something like half of them are provided by Catholic agencies. Uh, I said certainly a couple of times a week at least or two different agencies come in some nights a week to near the cathedral to feed people uh, yes. of an evening. Which so is still said, going today, yes. Yeah, and I said, we were still doing that. So I finished up by saying I never heard from him again. What does your mob do? <laughs> Yeah. What do they provide for the whoever he represents uh, for, for, for the battlers? So we could do more and we should do more. I mean, Caritas does an enormous amount uh, overseas. Um, 
and that's one of the great, uh, one of the best developments in the church since the Second Vatican Council. There was no Australian Catholic relief or caritas mm. before the Second Vatican Council. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's said that the church as a whole does feed, house and shelter more people, uh, clothe more people than, than any other institution in the world. If you were to add it all up, um, that, that, combine. Uh, that, that, that might very well be... Uh, well, look at all our St Vincent de Paul. I mean, most parishes in Sydney have a St Vincent de Paul group. We've got the Vinnie's shops. Yes. Um, you know, these are real, uh, real avenues of service to people. Yeah, fantastic. Now, now um, just in recent times, um, Your Eminence, we know you had, you know, a lot of difficulty uh, be just in this whole case that's, that's hit headlines um, and, and, and praise be to God, you, you've been acquitted. And, um, but you were in jail for uh, 404 days, I understand. Yes, um, yes. I never counted them, but people but, say four. Once yeah. or twice, there's a 405, I've <laughs> never checked. You knew, first of all, um, uh, you know, it wasn't the first time you've been accused. Uh, you've been accused in the past. But um, you know in, in your own self what you've done in your life as far as t helping and heal, helping people heal. But the time, can you tell us a little bit about the time in, in, in jail and uh, you just mentally, spiritually, what were you going through? Um, well, it wasn't a fun time. No. Uh, but it wasn't the worst of times and uh, in comparison, I mean, I'd read stories about the gulag in the Soviets and uh, the Nazi concentration camps and Cardinal Twan's, uh, uh, then uh, uh, Thomas More and John yes. Fisher, Father Cezak in the States. Uh, well, all of them, uh, all of them, uh, had it much, much harder than, than I did. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't at the Ritz or the Hilton, um, but I had three meals a day. I had uh, a bed with a firm base and a mattress. I had a hot shower. Uh, I also had a kettle and a television set, so... Uh, um, in comparison to those other characters, yeah. to, 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 <laughs> you're counting to your that. blessings. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And also the warders, not absolute, not absolutely everyone, but uh, overwhelmingly they were decent and human. You know, when mm. you, they were the only people you'd you'd, you'd see, and you know, when they'd bring in the meals or this or that, you know, they they would uh, just uh, talk casually mm. and humanly, and that was a very big thing. There's a, a lot of goodness and a lot of kindness in jail. There's a lot of other stuff too, but uh, yeah. a lot of humanity. You did talk about you, your prayer life and you did, you, you, you described it as a, a long retreat in, in a sense. What do you mean by that? Well, you had an opportunity for prayer, to yes. uh, do a bit of spiritual reading, to do study, do a bit of writing. Um, um, I actually one week did what I described as a formal retreat, but my each day was a bit like the program you would follow on a traditional retreat. Uh, I couldn't accept that I couldn't go to mass, or there was no benediction or anything like that. Oh. 
but uh, I was able to, I had always had my breviary even from the first night, they allowed me to have that. Um, I had um, a Bible, I had a, they took my rosary off me but issued a prison rosary. Is that any different? Is that yeah, one wasn't made of metal, it was okay. made of uh, cloth. So with, with the daily routine of prayer, that all, all that was, was possible. We are actually um, preparing for a uh, spiritual rosary pilgrimage virtually. In one word, what would you say the power of the rosary for you during this time? What would you describe this, this prayer, um, the significance of the prayer? Well, it's, it's, um, it's a very popular, it's easy to pray the yes. rosary. Uh, it gives you something to do with your hands, it's like a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> it's routine, it's repetitive, it's conducive to meditation on the, on the, the mysteries. It's a good prayer when you're uh, under pressure, so when you're in jail. It's no surprise that a lot of people, when they're uh, in hospital or somebody's dying, will say the rosary. It's, uh, it's an easy, repetitive, soothing uh, uh, prayer. So uh, I endorse it uh, enthusiastically, very yeah, highly. Yeah, fantastic. Kind of, well, your time, uh, you have... How long has it been now since you've been out uh, of jail? You worked since, you... Uh, since Holy Week, anyway. Holy Week, okay. And uh, how how have you been? How's life? And how, and how it are you took doing? a bit of trend, uh, took a bit of getting used to to, yeah. uh, to, to into a new uh, way of life. But it's uh, very pleasant being free. Absolutely, absolutely. F some final thoughts. Um, now you've gone through a lot in your life, and you've seen all sorts of on on many levels of of um, Suffering of, you name it, uh, um, positive, negative, um, corruption, if you want to call it, or all sorts of things. We are in a, an increasingly secular world, very hostile to the Christian faith, more so than we've seen the media and, and, and the like. What would be a message for the Catholic viewers and those who are really confused now? How do they live out their faith in a society that really is not so friendly to the message of the gospel these days? What, what would be some tips? Well, I, I sometimes say, look, living the Catholic message, the Christian message, uh, is a bit like losing weight. <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> well, it's very simple. Uh, to lose weight, I mean, I'm, I'm putting on weight slowly now, but to, to lose weight, you eat less and exercise more. It's very clear what you've got to do. And so it is with the Christian life. Yeah, you have to believe in the one true God, in Jesus, uh, his son. Uh, you have to pray, uh, repent of your sins. They're just these ordinary, everyday, basic things that have been handed down to us. And those uh, simple practices and truths work. Uh, and you can do that whether you're in the Sahara or the Antarctic or... Uh, in uh, Catholic Europe in the, the 13th century or uh, uh, an increasingly unbelieving Australia in the 21st century. But uh, the other thing is that um, we shouldn't conclude that because there's a bit more hostility, it doesn't necessarily be bad for us. Okay. Uh, it can... Uh, um, I mean, I had a number of people that write to me who... Uh, uh, hadn't uh, been practicing their religion, but were so upset by the injustice of what happened to me that uh, 
they went, uh, they resumed their practice of the faith. So the, the effect of uh, things on people is uh, unpredictable. And just because there's a bit of opposition or hostility doesn't mean to say um, it's going to necessarily damage us or push people away. It can be a, also an opportunity uh, for people to... Uh, Wake up and yes. say, "Yes, well, now I realise what's at stake. I'm going to, I'm going to take a stand." Yeah, fantastic. So don't give up out there. Don't give up. No, no, absolutely. There is hope, and, uh, and it, it works. Yes, absolutely. Jesus' message works. Well, th thank you for for not giving up and uh, and and, and uh, staying the course and and still doing that till today. And uh, please know of our prayers. We're praying for you, and and. And for our church as well. And so um, in the 21st century, may our church continue to, to bring the gospel to the world and good news and may it bring hope to all those suffering out there. And, and please know that, uh, you know, don't judge um, the church by just one or two individuals. Give it a shot. You are part of the church if you want to join right. and, uh, and make a difference as the body of Christ. I and mean, there are it. plenty of uh, sinners in the church, plenty of sin, plenty of, we're all sinners. Uh, but we preach Christ crucified and risen. Yes, yes. Um, and it helps uh, if our lives can be faithful to those Christian teachings. But what we preach is Christ as the Son of God. And that's uh, the crucial issue is whether his message is true and efficacious. Uh, and of course, in faith, we, we say yes to both of those. I want to thank you very much for your time, Your Eminence. And Please pray for us as well at Perusia and, uh, and, and all those watching. Good. No, it's, it's important what you're doing and uh, stick at it. Will Good. do. Thanks, Joe. You've always encouraged over the years. So thank you. Thank God you. bless you. Good. That's another Hello. Perusia podcast, a very special one, Cardinal George Pill. Please pray for him. Pray for our church and let's pray for our world. So God bless you. And until next time, take care.